this morning is Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. For I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those in Laodicea and for those who have not seen me face to face. I want their hearts to be encouraged and united in love so that they may have all the riches of assured understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am saying this so no one may deceive you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, and I rejoice to see your morale and the firmness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Good morning. Hey, it is so good to see you. Isn't it better to be together even though we've got masks and social distancing? Thank you for being here today. This morning we're going to talk about change. Talking about changing our lives in the image of Christ. Um, life has changed. For example, I've seen quite a few changes. I'm kind of like Emma Bombeck as she was talking about getting older. She talked about the change that was taking place in her. And she wrote some things like this. She said, you know you're getting older when everything hurts. And what doesn't hurt doesn't work. You know you're getting older when your black book has only names that end in MD. You know you're getting older when your knee, when your knees buckle but your belt won't. When a fortune teller offers to read your face. Nah, that's not very good. Okay. All right. You know, but but I do like this one. You know you're getting older when you kiss your, your sweetheart and your pacemaker makes the garage door go open. <laughs> Change, growth, progress are a part of life. The older I get, the more I see this is true. In fact, change gets even more rapid these days. And the Christian life is full of change. In the passage before us, Paul is dealing with the church and is talking about the need for change, the need for growth, and for us to embrace that growth and change. As a friend of mine once reminded me, you're either growing or you're dying. And I don't want to die. And we believe as Christians that Jesus makes the ultimate difference using every circumstance and every challenge to move us forward for new growth. So here's the question this morning. Ask yourself this question. Are we growing in Christ? Can people see Christ in us? 
Let's pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our strength and redeemer. May these words be your words, O Christ, and for all that I don't speak this morning, may you fill in the gaps that your word would be made known. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Within these passages, within these verses, we get the thesis for Paul's entire letter to the church at Colossae. He starts with, I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for those who have not seen me face to face. He's writing to encourage, but also to challenge the church. And those church members there are battling some unknown danger. We don't know what it is. He doesn't get specific in the letter. Some have speculated that it might be false teachers, that it might be um, paganism, that it might be Roman persecution, that it might be the influence of Judaism. The Greek word that Paul uses that's translated struggling is the, Greek, is the word agonon, which literally means agony. Paul is in agony for the church at Colossae. This is a serious, deep challenge that the church is facing. Sound familiar? (laughs) Sound familiar? In verse 2 and 3, he gets to the heart of, of his own theology. I want their hearts to be encouraged and united in love so that they may have all the riches of assured understanding. And if you've got your Bibles open at home or here, underline this, this verse, uh, this, this phrase, and have the knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself. His promise, Paul's encouragement, is rooted in Jesus Christ. There's more than just encouragement here. He reminds them of the riches of their faith. He reminds them of what is really at stake here. He reminds them the source of their power. The knowledge of Christ, the unity of the body, in all things they shall overcome. In verses 6 and 7, and hopefully you do have your Bibles open because there's five phrases here that I would, I would encourage you to underline. For I think that in terms of Paul's theology, what Paul is saying here, just in these two verses, he says over and over again. The verses are these. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live in your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Underline to live your lives in him. In all things, we are to live our lives for him. This is the thesis, to live our lives for them. And and then he goes on to, to talk about four characteristics of this life. First is rooted. Circle that word. Rooted. He refers to this in the past tense, that we have been rooted. 
And, and the word there is, is one that is, a, is, is used to describe uh, a vine that has been newly planted in fresh soil. And in the early stages, as the, as the roots dig deeper and deeper, before you see any evidence of the plant itself, there's new growth below the ground before the growth of the vine itself begins to take, take place. Then he says, built up in him. Rooted and built up in him. Now, again, this is future tense. To be built up in him. Um, it, it is something that is the result of this growth. The result of being rooted. And what Paul is basically saying here is faith is not a once and for all experience. It is an ongoing experience of growing and being sanctified in the faith. And our future depends on it because without it, the roots will die. Third is established in the faith. Circle that. Established in the faith. Again, Paul uses the future tense, indicating that which will happen as we are rooted and built up. And it literally means to walk where it is solid and sure. To walk where it's solid and sure. Well, those are pretty good words, aren't they? Are we walking where it's solid and sure? And the implied part of this passage is that to, be, to walk where it's solid and sure is to walk with other Christians, to walk within the body, to, 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 to lean upon the body, which is the church. People ask, well, why do I have to go to church? Because the scriptures demand it. They demand that we gather together. They demand that we walk together on solid ground. They give to us the instruction that if we really want our faith to grow... We walk with each other as we walk with Christ. Established in the faith to walk where it is solid and sheer, sure to walk with confidence in the Spirit. Fourth, and I think what is most important, he says, abounding in thanksgiving. As green leaves are a sign of a healthy plant, Right? Anybody have plants in your house? When the leaves start to droop and to turn yellow? Do you have a green thumb, Mark? Is that why your wife is patting you? <laughs> it's evidence that the plant is not healthy. It either needs water or it needs fertilizer. It needs light. And so is the same with our lives. There are signs of a healthy growth Thanksgiving is the mark of healthy spiritual life. Those who bubble over with gratitude are, are those who find trust easier. They find taking the next step more, more confidently. Clearly, Paul's words are universal. Not just for that day, but for ours. To be rooted in the faith be built up in the ways of God, to be established in the community of believers, to practice the faith by giving thanks. 
The word calls us to be different, to grow. Where we are today is hopefully not where we will be tomorrow, nor next month, nor next year, nor in the 10 years. We are to continue to grow in the faith. Max Lucado in his book, uh, When God Whispers Your Name, tells a story about a little boy that fell out of bed. The mom found him on the floor, and she said, son, what, what happened? How did you fall out of bed? And he said, well, I think I stayed too close to where I got in. <laughs> How many of us are like that? We've gotten into the faith, but how deep are we? How deep? When a Christian stops growing, help is needed. Be careful that we are not the same Christian that we were last year or the year before or when we first called Jesus Lord. It might be a good idea to get a a checkup of sorts. You know, most of us every year get a physical checkup. Do we get a spiritual checkup? So we don't stay too close to where we got in? Lucado in his book uh, says that we all should go through a process of evaluating ourselves. And that we should always be growing, developing, and stirring in our faith. He offers a spiritual checkup. He says over a period of time, whether it's a month, a year, two years, or maybe going back to when you first proclaimed Jesus as Lord and Savior, kind of, kind of mark a timeline and ask yourself these questions. And there may be others that you want to ask. How does your prayer life compare to that earlier date? How about your giving? How has your joy increased? What about your church loyalty, your attendance in worship, your participation in worship? What about Bible study? And then the final question is this. Can you tell that you have grown? This is Paul's imperative in Colossians to grow in the faith. Growth is the goal, maturity in Christ. In other words, none of us are the same that we were yesterday. And, and, and time has a way of marking us. You know, physically, we change. Our, our families mature. Our jobs progress. What about our faith? What about our faith? Ann Voskamp uh, is an author who never intended to be an author. She's known for her deep reflections on faith, gratitude, and walking with God. Now, she's not a theologian, and she's certainly not an apologist. She's a woman of faith, sharing her struggles, her growth, and her progress. 
And, and her faith journey was difficult. Her earliest memory was the accidental death of her sister and, and how her parents turned against God and, and refused to have anything to do with the church or anything to do with God. She grew up in a family where there was fear, anxiety, anger. As a teen, she came to know Christ. She came to know Christ through a, a friend named Daryl who invited her to the family's Good News Club on their front porch where 80 kids would gather each week. Daryl's family was different. It was rooted in Scripture, rooted in prayer, rooted in following Christ. When they married a few years later, Anne learned to fight fear by quoting Scripture. But, but she says in her writings that it was not enough, that she still felt anxious, she still felt fearful. There was still that depression that, would, that she would go through. As she was talking with a friend, this friend said to her, I want you to sit down and write a thousand things for which you are grateful. A thousand. She said, oh my goodness. But she sat down and she began to write. And she wrote. And she wrote. And she wrote. And she made a thousand. At that point in 2010, she began to blog for other women, moms, that might want to hear about her experience. It was a couple of years later that an editor approached her and wanted her to write a book. A book? Who would want to read my book? Look at my life. It's been a mess. She thought, wrote a book at the urging of her husband who said, you know, God's opened a door. Let's just keep going through those doors until it, it's closed. So she wrote a book, and it was called um, 1,000 Gifts. She talked about this challenge of her friend and how she continued in her blog of every day citing three blessings. It stayed on the New York bestseller list for over a year. People were hungry to hear about a mom of six homeschooling, working on a, on a farm, just like them, how they could grow in faith. Five years later, Ten years after she began to blog, in 2015, God opened more doors. She raised a million dollars for Iraqi refugees in a month. Their family personally sponsored and funded a Syrian refugee family. They raised over $100,000 for Bible translations and adopted a girl from China all because she chose faith and giving thanks. She writes this. She says, this is the word that can change everything. Eucharisto, from Luke 22. And he took bread, 
gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them. In Greek, he gave thanks is Eucharisto. It's an interesting word. Its root word is charis, which means grace. The root of charis is kara, which is joy. In thanksgiving, there is grace. In grace, there is joy. We're about to take Holy Communion. In Holy Communion, it is the holy grail of joy. It is our time of giving thanks, to grow in thanksgiving, to grow in grace, and to look forward to how our grace might turn into joy. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember for that which he has done for us, for that which he has sacrificed for us. And, and, and you know, as I, as I read all this, I, I begin to ask the question, why is remembering and giving thanks so important to our growth? Remembering and giving thanks puts us back together again. It's where we focus on the positive. We focus on what God is doing. And we leave the rest aside. In 2020, we need this more than ever. It's been a hard year. Have we stopped to give thanks? Have we stopped to to consider what has established us in the faith? Even in a year like this, we can grow and be rooted and give thanks in all circumstances. There is no threat. You hear me? There is no threat that shall stand against the people of God when we proclaim the name of Jesus. Nothing. So as we come to the table today, let us remember and give thanks. And as we do, God can take the glorious opportunity to make a difference through our lives in ways that we could never imagine. Not, maybe not this year or next. It may be five years. It may be ten Let us do so in such a way that others will see the difference in them, in us. They'll see the difference in our words, our approach to the situation, our families. So let me ask you the question I started out with in the beginning. Are we growing in Christ? Can Christ be seen by others in us?